Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you'd open up your Bible, uh, we're going to be reading in uh, John, 1 John. Sorry, there's a difference there. John is like this, and 1 John is like yeah. this, and 1 yeah, John's over here, and John is over here. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to 1 John, and we're going to read in, in John chapter 3 and, and John chapter 4. Uh, Melissa did a great job. Uh, giving her announcement despite the distracting show that was going on in the background, and you guys did a good job paying attention. Uh, some mornings, um, quite honestly, when we're worshiping, I forget that I got to get up and preach because I'm just in the singing and, um, and, and, and just focused on, on what's going on. And other mornings, you get a text that says, this drum set is going to fall over. I need help. Um, and so... Uh, I got to jump up there and, and, and help this morning. Uh, so that was fun. I think the last time that there was a report of the drum set, it fell in the middle of the sermon. So, um, yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, yeah, this, again, first world problems. Um, we're going we're gonna to read in, in 1 John, starting in uh, chapter 3, in verse 16, and then we'll, we'll flip to 1 John 4. But we want to focus in this morning on the character of God and the, and the character of Christ and the way in which God expresses that character to us. So, First John, chapter 3, verse 16. John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And then 1 John 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning and give praise to you, that that we can offer to you what it is that you desire from us, Lord, not the external celebration of you in song and in in giving and in attendance, but, but that which is generated from within as we do those things. A faithful trust in the truth that our hope is only in Jesus. Uh, A trust that, that you've asked us to give back to you and that you will continue to supply all of our needs as you spread the gospel in the United States and throughout the world. We thank you that as we hear promises from Scripture, we can say, that is true. And I will live in a way 
that reflects the truth of that, not just in the things that I say, but in my mind and what goes on in my heart and then in the actions of my daily life. We thank you that that is what you call us to, not absolute perfection of behavior or of thought, for these things are impossible for anyone but your son. We thank you that the good news is that the burden of law that that fell upon Jesus, that he needed to be perfect in order to save a people to praise you, that that burden does not fall upon us because he took it from us. We thank you that his burden of law that he gives to his people is light, even if it is challenging. And so we pray, Father, as we, as we consider what the church needs most and how to, to most identify with you and how to live out your character in the world. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that this is not difficult to figure out. It's not some deep hidden mystery. It's there on nearly every page of the scripture. The message is plain, but it is challenging. And so we pray that you would help us to to commit in our heart to live the way that you call us to, Lord, because you have been kind to us. And so we pray that we would respond in kind, Lord, by your grace, for your glory, and for our joy, we pray. Amen. Uh, as, as many people think about Jesus, one of the things we've been, we've been talking about in our adult Bible study prior to, to the worship service is that uh, many, many people think of themselves as uh, a piece of the universe, right? You know, like they, they, you're just a, a player uh, among all the other seven million, seven billion, sorry, people that are, are on this world. That you're just, you're just uh, one little component of all the everything that exists out there, right? And, and am, I, am I significant? Do I have meaning? Am I, am I connected to what's going on? And, and what the scriptures demonstrate over and over to us is that, is that God is not so big that he doesn't have time for his people, that he's not interested in their lives. He's incredibly interested. As a matter of fact, I think that, that we think the bigger and more important someone is, right, the less time they have for uh, small things, right, there, there comes a point where, where he just is so big and so powerful and so wise and so present that he's got time for everything. And he's interested in everything, right? Moms, dads, have you ever sat down and said, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to Count all the hairs on the head of one of my kids. No, right? Because you'd like lose track around like 70, right? You know, and, and then you, you'd have to start over. But God numbers the hair on our heads. He knows. You know, when, when, we, when we think about the things that Jesus says, that, that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart 
from his permission. I don't know about you, like, is it, is it like dragonfly season or something around here? Has anybody noticed this? Where, where, where I live, there are dragonflies everywhere. Like, I, and they're big, and they sound like helicopters when they're coming, you know, and it's like, whoa, they're everywhere. And they just kind of feel a little disposable to me, you know? Like, sorry. They're pretty, but like when they're coming at my face, you know, like I'm, I'm like, I'm going to swat that thing down. And if, if I think that, you know, uh, Nancy or one of the kids might open the back door and, the, uh, and it's going to fly in the house, like, I got to kill that thing so it doesn't go inside. I'm sorry. You, you t- I do. I'm sorry. I, I'm just being honest here. Maybe I should be a little kinder to the creatures, right? I'll get a fly swatter that's more of like, I'll just, I'll use it to like shove them, shoo them. Yeah, I'll get a fly shooer. There we go. Yeah. You can ask me how that going. It's going in a week. Um, the, the, the point is that, that, that it's not like God has a category where it's just like dragonflies. Like he knows how many there are. He knows. And he knows what they're all doing. And if they've got little dragonfly thoughts, like he knows what they're thinking. He knows and he, and he cares and he is involved. I think in the same way, many times we, 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 we pass this on to Jesus, right? This, this kind of, of, of thinking of of, of God's disconnectedness in our lives, right? You know, we, we think Jesus was around a long time ago and he was interested in the lives of, of, of John and James and Andrew and Peter and, and his disciples. And he was involved in their lives, but, but me, like, not so much. He's got, he's got a lot of stuff. There's important people out there. There's like megachurch pastors and stuff. Like they're, he's, God's, God's interested, in, Jesus is interested in them. Or, or they think he was, a, he was a great teacher and he said a great number of, of, of things that are, are difficult to live up to. And therefore, he's not, he's not really in the same category as me. I'm like, I'm, I'm here, like I'm like a, a B-level type person. And then he's like an A-level person, like a really good person. Or you think he's the savior. He was God, and therefore not really someone that I can relate to, you know? I mean, knowing myself and knowing my sins and then looking at him and saying, can I, can I try to imitate a guy who's perfect, right? You know, the first time I mess up, the seventh time I mess up, the hundredth time I mess up, I'm kind of like, we are not in the same category. And yet, here's the good news. We're, we're, we're told in the scriptures to imitate Christ. We're told in the scriptures that we're being remade into the image of the one who created us. If we have, if we have looked at Jesus, right, and taken a, a serious assessment of our own life and said, I am a sinner, I have sinned against God, I've failed to live up to the things that he calls me to do. He says, obey these commandments, live this way, and I say, no, I'm going to live my own way, right? Or, or, or God says, don't want these things, don't desire these things, and I say, no, that's what I'm after, right? We, we have rewritten the value system, and we've sinned against God. 
We've, we've broken from his pattern and refused to live that way. And there are consequences for that. The good news is that the scriptures say God loves us even while we're in that condition. He sends his son to take the penalty or the punishment for us, for, for, for living that way. And we can call out to him and say, I need a savior I need, I need someone to, to remove my sin from me, and, and he will accept and receive us and make us righteous in his sight. He'll, he'll cancel out all of our wickedness and all of our ungodliness and all the ways in which we deviate from God's pattern, and he will treat us like he treats his son Jesus. That's incredibly good news. Here, here's, here's the thing. That standard of perfection that we need to live up to in order to to be with God and be at union with him, Jesus deals with that. He deals with that for us. It's It's a gracious provision of God to handle our problems. And so many times people are like, okay, if my sin is handled then, then it doesn't matter what I do. No, no, no. God calls us to live in a way that honors him. A lot of times Christians will then take this good news that they're, that they're righteous and that they're clean and they're purified, and they'll say, okay, that's the start, right? And then they'll, they'll put that on a shelf, and they'll say, and now I need to live a perfect life for the rest of my life, right? And now I need to make sure that I wake up every single day and pray about everything that's going to happen today, and I need to, to, to read my Bible, you know? And these are all good things, but we think if we deviate from the pattern, if we mess up, if we say the wrong thing to someone, if we think the wrong thought, then somehow we ruin it, right? We're, we're, we're saved by the work of Jesus. This is the way we're thinking about it. We're saved by the work of Jesus, but then we have to live in our own strength and power. But that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is, is that we are saved. We are being saved by the the power of God at work within us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will one day be saved when Jesus appears and he takes us to be with him and we're renewed and made like him. In the now, though, as we we think about life as, as Christians, I think there's something that's incredibly valuable here for the church to, to realize. Because there's an, there's an intersection between what we're after most, right? That, that feeling of being at peace with God and knowing all the time that we're doing the things that God calls us to do. And we're, we're at peace with him. And he's not angry. Like, he's not, he's, not, um, he's not up in heaven. Like, oh, look, there's Keith. He's messing up. And he's like, let me grab a lightning bolt. You know, and he's like, "Yep, he's doing it." Like, you know, and and we like when we sometimes we think that way. Like God is just waiting to to drop the boot on us, you know, or to slam us with the hammer. The good news is that we can know and live in a way that pursues pleasing God all the time. If we're in Christ, if we've been made righteous by him, then God makes it incredibly simple to follow him. Listen to what the book of Romans says. It says, The one who loves 
has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, like all these different things that that sometimes they're difficult to live up to. And any other commandment, they're summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore loves the fulfilling of the law. I remember uh, we were at a men's retreat a number of years ago, and my, my mentor, Mike Greiner, was, was uh, doing the retreat, and he was talking about living the Christian life, and, and, and he was like, okay, you know, tomorrow we're going to talk about this, and the guys were kind of disappointed, and they said, you know, like, no, 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 we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about the secret of, like, of living the Christian life, and he said, all right, I'll throw away my message for tomorrow, and he wasn't, like, being weird or passive-aggressive about it or anything. He was like, I'll chuck it, and I'll, I'll talk about something else. I'll talk about the secret. Right? And so he, he, he set everything up in the message and he said, all right, I'm going to tell you what the secret is to living the Christian life. And it was like everybody leaned forward and he said, it's love. And it was like, oh. <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> def- deflated. Like, like they were waiting for something secret. You know, something hidden, something new, like it was something that they put in ice cream, like polysorbate 80 or something, you know, like what, just some random thing, like, you know, wake up every morning and say this prayer. But that's not the way that God works. He tells us everything up front. Look at how we can live a life that looks like the life that, that, that Jesus Live Now, here's where I said uh, just a second ago that this is extremely valuable, right? Why? Because there's an intersection between the world's deep longing and what it is that God tells us to be passionate about. What he says here is that love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore loves the fulfilling of the law. The one who has loved another fulfills the law all throughout the world, all throughout the world, people who are blinded to the truth and who don't have peace with God and who are ensnared to their desires and they are running from the Lord, all of them on on some level are craving affection. They are. People are lonely and they feel disconnected, and they feel alienated, and they are angry because they've been neglected, or they have been marginalized, or they have been abused or hurt, and they are craving affection. It's true. And the church, this doesn't mean that we twist ourselves into a pretzel to give every single person every single thing that they ask for in the way that they ask for it. But we can say there is love here. If we understand that that's a huge piece of our mission and a, a component of it, many times we get the facts of the gospel. We get, we get the need to believe certain things. We get the, the need to lay aside certain behaviors. And we, we take all of these things and we put them in front of us loving them and caring for them. And that's not the way that God works. The scripture says 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? right? He didn't say, first do these seven things, and then I will bring salvation. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, if you all behave and ask really nicely, I'll send the Messiah and save the world, right? In fact, the scripture says there's no one who seeks God. No, not one. He moved first. He acted first. What I find so amazing is that we've come to this place in 2019 where we are so advanced, right? You know, we're talking about cars are going to be driving themselves, right? You know, and I'm, I'm hoping that just 15 or 20 years past that is like, I'm going to finally get my jet pack, right? You know, like I thought I was going to have one in 1990, when, in the 80s. Like I just, I thought it was coming. Flying car, George Jetson, you know, like push the button and it turns into a briefcase and you carry it inside. Like, you know, that's, that's what I thought. Here we are with, with mobile phones. We can travel anywhere in the world, you know. We, we, we've got incredible technological resources at our disposal. And the world is still a mess. Because people don't obey the great commandment, which is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second, which is like it, to love their neighbor as themselves. That's why the world is messed up, right? Yeah. Right? And so, and so when we're called to preach the gospel and to teach the truth, it needs to show up and arrive with a, a, a package or a, 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 a church that is built around this principle of we will love you just like the Savior loved, just like the Father loved, and we will show love whether you're going to respond to the message or not. We're going to show love. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we say, hey, everything you do is good and everything that you do is right. You know, I was, I was standing with my dad, uh, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, and, uh, you know, he was visiting, and I've bought all these power tools and stuff, you know, so he's asking me, show me this, show me that, what's that, what's this, you know, we're talk, talking through stuff, and he, he knows tools, you know, we're just, we're just chatting, guy stuff, you know, and I said, hey, help me cut this thing, and I had this memory of something that happened when I was a kid, right, right, where I'm in my dad's workshop, and he looks at me, and he says, now, I'm going to turn this saw, and I'm going to cut something, right, and he, like, how did he know what was going on in my mind? Could it be that he had told me the exact same thing 700 times and I had never listened, right? You know, I always did. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this saw blade. It was a craftsman radial arm saw from Sears with like a blade that at that time looked like it was two feet, you know, two and a half. It was like big, like the one that you, 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 put, the, you put the hero or the, the, uh, the, the damsel in distress on, you know, at the, in the, in, she's on the conveyor belt going towards the great big saw. And here I was, it was like, it was like that to me. Like. And so he, he cuts this piece of wood and the little tiny chunk of wood flies off and my hand starts to go out and he like whacked me. Boom. And I think like, I thought about that for like 15 years. Remember that time? <laughs> you spanked my hand, you know. 
And anybody who's got kids is like, no, that was an incredibly loving thing. Like, look, guys, five fingers. Why? Because my dad loves me, right? You know? And if you've ever done the, the thing where it's like, you know what? This kid, like, he just will not stop reaching for the candles, right? You know, he's like, fire. And I'm like, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. And then you're like, all right, you're only going to have to get burnt once. <laughs> ah, you know? That is not a loving thing to do when we're talking about saws, right? Right. But I didn't interpret it that way for a long time. I just thought like, oh, you know, my dad was mean. It was incredibly loving. Incredibly loving. Jesus modeled in his life pure, perfect love in each and every situation that he was in. Now, we can't necessarily imitate his love in each and every situation that we're in, but we can look at what it is that he does, and we can look at the principle of, of seeking to love our neighbors as our, ourselves and to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and being completely and utterly forgiven by God and having our sins, past, present, and future canceled out. We can say, I am going to make this my focus. I am going to seek to love the way that I'm called. And we have an example of that love. Jesus modeled pure and perfect love. The scriptures say in 1 John 3 that that his love is how we know love. It It is the definition that he laid down his life for us. It's voluntary, right? It is it is given freely. He laid down his life. For us. Have you ever done something for someone voluntarily and just experienced such great joy in doing it and then you were forced to do the same thing at some other time? Uh, you, you may feel great fulfillment in helping somebody with their car, right? Or mowing someone's lawn and then you got to go mow your own and you're like, Ugh. right? There is, there is something about being voluntarily engaged and doing something freely. This, the spontaneous willing of, of something good. Jesus willingly embraces our mess, our sins, and, and takes them upon himself that we might be saved. He laid down his life for us. You know what? Um, my favorite scripture that's not in the Bible is Jesus saying, hey guys, guess what? I'm going to clean up your giant mess. The nerve of you wrecking everything. You're never going to appreciate me. You're never going to care. You're never going to offer me anything remotely close to the respect that I deserve, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm a good person. Didn't say anything like that ever came from my father. I'm I'm doing what I received from my father. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He takes it willingly and voluntarily for us. His love was also vicarious. He took our place. It says that he laid down his life for us. He he stepped into uh, our, our, our place for us. 
When, when my kids were little, they probably don't remember this. They'll probably say, you only did that for Jack, right? You know, you only did that for Hank, you know. When it's like, eat your vegetables, and there, we're having that conflict, you know. Occasionally, like, I'll reach out with my fork and, like, pick up a couple of vegetables and eat them. Just kind of lighten the load a little. You know, you're in the supermarket and someone, someone's just a couple dollars short and you're like, you know what, take their cash and I'll, I'll, I'll swipe my card for the rest. I've done that. Once. You know? Jesus looked at us in our our fallen state separated from him. And he said, I'll take every wicked, horrible, detestable thing that they've ever done and I'll take it on myself. The, the, the difference between our love and his is astounding. But it's, it's, a, it's a model of the laying down. Now, our Our good works and our acts of love don't save everyone, but they point to the goodness of what Jesus has done for us. And they are the ground of motivation for the good that we do. And so when someone says, that's an incredibly nice thing, why would you have done that for me? We're able to say, well, someone else has done something incredible and good for me. And there's a stage for sharing the good news. His love was was voluntary, it was vicarious, it was offered in place, and it's also victorious. It it brings uh, victory over sin and death and separation from God. And it, it, it frees us up to pursue a life of love. He is the, the model to imitate. Second, we're given a model to reject. If anyone... John says, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? John, I think he uses the word little children so that will pay attention, right? He says, hey, kids? You know, we're like, what? Not a kid. Well, maybe we are based on how we react to what he says next. Hey, kids. Let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, we, we used to uh, make our kids apologize to one another, right, when they'd, when they'd done wrong. Now, say you're sorry. Sorry. Oh, you sound sorry. Like, I believe it, right? You know? That's right. Live it. We're, we're, not, we're not supposed to say, oh, you know what? I have general goodwill towards all human beings. I, I love everyone. Well, maybe, you know? But, but that is, is tested by your activity. What, what John says in verse 18 is, is that we're not supposed to, to love in, in just the things that we say or in, 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 our, in our inward thinking, that we're not just supposed to be settled and say, I'm perfectly safe and secure in the fact that I kind of love everyone and I have, a, I have this positive uh, emotional interaction with them all. No, what he says here is that love is an active thing. It is, a, it is a verb that the Spirit stirs us up to act and to follow through on loving impulses that, 
that, that, that follow through in loving actions. We can think that we are loving, and at the same time, we can see a need and close our heart. Right? When we're, when we're commanded to love, and then, and then John follows it with the phrase that we close our heart, right? We love with our heart, and we close our heart off. Like, this is clearly not love, is what he's, he's pointing out. This is the good news about how we're called to live. We can look out at the world, we can look out at people in need, and we can see their need. Now this, again, this doesn't mean that if somebody says, I want a million dollars and a beach house and a pony, right, that we're supposed to be like, oh, let's do anything we can to to make them feel good because that will bring them into the kingdom. No, when we look out at the world, we see the people that we work with and that we're friends with and that we're interacting with, and we see that they need some kind of, of, of emotional support. They need some kind of encouragement. They need some kind of guidance, or they need some kind of expertise, or they need some kind of affirmation, or if the situation is right, they need their hand slapped so that they don't lose their fingers, right? We can offer that in the context of love. Failure to follow through in loving action reveals that we have a heart problem. John's very clear about it. He says, if you see the need and you close your heart, how does God's love... He says very nice, by the way. Like, he's indirect here. He's not like, hey, you. Like James would have said, you people, right? This is what John says. If anyone, not talking about anybody specifically here, you know, certainly not us, you know, just, just a, a, a conceptual, theoretical anyone. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? And then we think like, well, I've seen people in need and I've closed my heart. John's like, ask the hard questions. Does God's love live in me? Is it, is it living and active in me. This is something that John does over and over again. It shows up many times in the Gospels, and then it shows up a lot in 1 John, where he says that the measure of our love for God, let me say this again, the love that we have for God is measured in the way that we love other people. That we can say all we want that we love God, but it is tested, it is proven, it is demonstrated in the way that we love other people. There is a difference between how we sometimes love and how we ought. And I believe that, that as we peel away the layers of our heart and we go through our, our, our daily lives and we encounter these situations, many times we have choices where, where we say, I could, I could be loving or I could be selfish. And the Lord reveals these things to us continually by his spirit so that we'll learn that we're not yet perfect, that we need to live in dependence on him, and we need to always be stirring ourselves up and paying attention and and looking around to see that, that there are new places and new ways to love people. Let's not love in word or in 
talk. You know, many times when Nancy and I were living in South Carolina, we'd, we'd meet people at church, and they would say, oh, aren't you guys sweet? Like, you know, you're, you're doing what? You're, you're here for seminary? You're going to be a pastor? Oh, that's so great. We'll have to have you out to the house sometime. And then the invitations never came. And we asked people. Do people, like, say that they're going to have you over the house and then not have you over? And they're like, oh, yeah, all the time. I call that Southern hospitality. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm just, this, was, this might have just been where we lived in this tiny little community. I'll, I won't indict the whole South anymore, and I won't kill any more dragonflies, all right? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm making my list of things to repent of. But it was, it was very clear, it was very clear that, that love was respectable, positive, felt good, but it was detached and indifferent. Do you know what I mean? It was, you, you experienced positiveness when you were connected, when you were in their presence, but there was no content there beyond that. John says, that's not love. And, and if the love of God abides in us, if we're, if we're fueling and stoking up the fire of God's love in our life, if we're like, I love the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, and we see someone who's in need, we're going to say, i got to do something about that. And here's the good news, folks. If you're like, that's not the way that I feel, the good news is you can repent. Say, Lord, change me. Give me a desire to love other people. I don't know what it is, but within the church, we have a tendency to say things like, I love them, but, right? And then add a bunch of stuff at the end of the sentence. And, and many times it's, it's a cover for why we're not going to follow through on some kind of loving action or why we, don't, um, why we don't actually love them. My pastor, who said that love is the secret, also said that many times Christians like to say, I love them, but I don't like them. Yeah, that doesn't, that's no good, right? Just, just dissect that for a while and think about that. I love them, but I don't like them. We're, we're not to love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We're to love past our differences. The way that, the way that Jesus loved is, is he took the brunt of, of pain in some relationships, and he loved past their differences. Think about it. Jesus is the only person who was completely right in every relationship and never did anything wrong and never did anything that would really truly give anyone any justification to be annoyed by him. Which means that when we irritate people or when we see people doing irritating things, we have to think, you know what, that is, Jesus loves past that and loves me anyway. The Father loves past that and loves me anyway. Love indeed and truth says, I love past our differences. I love actively. I, I seek to be involved in your life and I seek to, to share, even if there is some, some, some friction or difficulty. I show grace. I see us as equals. I see you as a human being created in the image of God and not some extra on the set of my life. Let me close by saying this. One, it's not 
simple loving other people. It's, it, it can be incredibly complex when we get down into the nitty-gritty of what it looks like on the daily basis to love people. But this is the, the good news. One, our desire to, to live in a way where, where, where we feel like God is not always judging us or calling us out on our behavior, but to, to live in a way that feels like what it is that, that he wants from us every day, that's what he says to be loving and to live a life marked by love. We can, we can be right in the, the center of God's will for our lives when we say, this is going to be the model for how I'm going to live. That's great news. Freedom from the constant fear of condemnation. But secondly, the people who are in your life, who need to know the Lord, and the people who are in your life who are related to you and who you work with, they crave, in the deepest part, they crave affection. They want it from their father. They don't know why they're alienated from him. It's a perfect stage for preaching the gospel. And it's the way that Jesus lived. I have a whole second point, but I'm not going to preach it. Uh, let's pray, and, and we'll, we'll close. Father, I thank you for this, this word from your word. Lord, I pray as a church that, that we would look out at the, the wider world, Lord, uh, as, as the Old Testament writers say. They don't even know their right hand from their left when it comes to, to living in a way that pleases you. Once upon a time, people knew who Jesus was, and they, they knew the, the stories in, in the Scripture, and they knew truth, and, and they were taught from a young age the truths of the Bible. But our, our culture doesn't, in many cases, even know what churches are, or why they would even go to one, or, or what, a, what the Bible is. They, they don't know these things anymore. They know the world is broken. They know that everything's not right with them. They know that they don't measure up. And Lord, you have given us a powerful tool to use to change the world, to share the truth, to, to reach the hearts and minds of those that you're calling to yourself. And so, Father, I pray that for our joy and for our security and our peace and our delight, as we seek to honor you, I pray that we would write this lesson on our hearts, that, that love is the perfect display of what it is that you desire out of us. And Father, correct us and shape us and motivate us to love in word and deed and truth. Lord, not just talk, but action. It's easy to say and it's hard to live, but I pray that you would challenge us and show us and show us the way that it changes and transforms things, Lord. By your grace, we pray, and for your glory and our joy. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.